Um, well, good evening. And uh, my name is Kathy, even though it says Kathleen. I am a compulsive overeater, 100 pounder. Hi, everyone. I'm really grateful. I get a little nervous, which is funny. I don't know why, because I'm among my fellows, but I want to thank Andrea for asking me to speak tonight. And I want to say that this is my experience. This is how I have done the program. And this is what's working for me. And hopefully maybe one thing I say will help somebody. Um, I'm reading because I don't want to spend too much time on what it was like. And I've done that before. And I want to focus on what happened in the recovery. So forgive me if I up and down glance. And I have a funny eye. I'm not winking at you and flirting. I had um, written a detachment and a hole and all this junk. So my eye is funny. I have to keep it closed for a while. Anyway, to qualify the highest weight that I know of from my umpteenth Weight Watchers joining, I'm a Weight Watchers plaque owner, I think on the wall, was 345. However, I know I had lost weight before that. So I now count um, 360 as my top weight, but I think I was even heavier. So uh, as we speak, I'm between 140 to 130 pounds down from my top weight. I have been abstinent for five years since June 6th of 2018. I'm going to show you a photo that's just horrifying, and I hope I do it right so you can see it. That is I in the purple at Disneyland, my favorite escape. Now... I will show you a picture of me the first time I got into OA. That is what I allowed myself to happen. That's where my disease took me from that to that. Um, okay. The photo just shows me the neighborhood of the top weight. I belong here, as I said. I, I just couldn't see how badly I looked because I trained myself to look here. I wouldn't allow myself to see. And I can see how miserable I was, how sick I was. And it makes me really sad that I wasted so much time because I had already had the miracle of weight loss and in OA, but I had to go back and as they say, do more research. I was really a skinny kid until I was around 10 and that was puberty time. And I know that that's common for girls, but I also know that by that age, I was finding solace in food because we had a tremendously dysfunctional family, um, physical abuse, and neglect and that was really due my younger my younger brother i have three brothers the younger one's three years younger than me he had a lot of really bad behavioral problems and um, my mom just dumped me basically and had to take care of him and i acted out because i i was intelligent and i had very good verbal skills it was really my only defense against my six foot four 300 pound father and my mouth did not go over very well with my parents so that was that. Um, I was put on diet pills at 11 and I lost weight, but it just began the cycle that many of us can relate to of losing and then gaining and losing and gaining and the stepping up and up and up of gaining more every single time. My first time at Weight Watchers, I was 16 years old. I weighed 172 pounds. I'm almost 68 and I can tell you where I weigh every single time in my life. I think I'm obsessed. Yeah. Um, I got down to 135 pounds in six months. That was really a fun and magical summer. But then I stopped doing it and I started to gain it again, up and down and up and down. Um, when I was in college, when I went away to college, which was only an hour away to San Francisco State, hello, um, I probably weighed about 180. And um, I had a great time there. I got engaged there to somebody that just, it just wasn't a, a good thing. And he was a very nice person. It just wasn't good. So 
few years after that, we, we ended that and I came down to LA in 1985 to pursue a career in film and television makeup. And I worked in the makeup department at Bullock's uh, those of you who know LA, Beverly Center. And my boss was really skinny and gorgeous, a few years older than me. She asked me to be her assistant. And on the way to, to dinner to discuss it, she said to me, honey, do you enjoy being overweight? <laughs> and I just thought, okay. And, and, and I laugh now. And she's actually my best friend, believe it or not. But she had found OA and wanted to bring everybody in. And so she took me to a meeting. And because I'm petrified of authority after eight years of being in Catholic school in the sixties and she was my boss and I'm a people pleaser, I went and I thought it was really weird. <laughs> Someone talked about having toast. I mean, I remember this from 1985, my first meeting. I thought, well, what, is she, what are they talking about that for? And then um, she knew I felt funny. And so she started to rub my back and I, I just flinched and froze, froze. I was not used to being touched unless it was, for being hit, frankly, or attention from a guy. It was weird. And then they talked about G-O-D and I was pissed because I had been indoctrinated all my life about God and fear and this and that. And I thought, oh, great. I've heard of these cults in LA. Here I am, you know, in a cult now. So, you know, to like I said, to please her, I stayed and, and I did what she said. And, um, I magically lost weight. Um, the first thing I did was I stopped eating all sweets, which is my biggest drug. I stopped drinking. I mean, I was young. I was only 30 years old. So I was going to bars and having fun. Well, that ended. And because my job was very physical, I lost 85 pounds in about a year and a half. And, um, and my dad died. And that really messed me up because we had so much uh, unfinished business. And, and now it's okay. It's been, a, it's been a long time, but I had to work through that. And this began the cycle of me for being attractive again, and then me taking care of the guy, and I stopped taking care of myself and gaining weight. This is a lifelong thing that I've always done. I take care of everybody else. So life went on. I, After I lost weight, I saw my old boyfriend from high school, and that happened. I moved back up to the Bay Area, and thankfully that didn't work out, and I came back down to L.A. in 1992. I found another sponsor who was maintaining a 200 pound weight loss. I lost a good amount of weight with her. And then I met my husband in 1994, but I did it again. I started loosening up my program and the weight really piled on because there were problems. Now, you know, hindsight's 2020 and I'll talk about that in a second. So that was 94 and, um, I wasn't really working the program much after that. I was, I was okay. But in the early 2000s, I really started putting on weight because Ken started having health issues and I just abandoned everything for him. And so five years ago, I crawled into my home meeting, which is a hundred pounder meeting in Westchester in Los Angeles, which is very close to where I live. And I've always admired this one particular woman. And I was determined to ask her, put all my fear aside and beg her actually to be my sponsor and I liked her a lot as a person. She's very funny and very intelligent, but she also runs a tight program for herself. She does not goof around, and I knew I needed that. I needed somebody really solid. So um, we did that, and um, I started with no candy, no soda, three meals, two snacks 
uh, in between if I need them. I had already quit a lifelong Diet Coke addiction, huge Diet Coke addiction, uh, three years before. But then I thought, you know, oh, I'll just have regular soda. Remember I said I was smart? <laughs> Not very smart. A lot of sugar in, diet, in regular soda. Um, she told me I needed to call her Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 630 in the morning. I said, yes, I hate getting up early in the morning. I do not bound out of bed. I said, yes, I just would do what she asked. And she said the most brilliant thing to me, don't lie about what you eat and don't try to impress me. I went, okay. <laughs> and this is my opinion. This is what I've done. I start, I visualize a lasso, you know? And I take it around the massive amounts of food I was eating. And I start to just gently tug it in. As time goes by, the road gets narrower. For me, candy was my thing. I always had at least four bags of candy next to me where I sat watching television, of course, my easy chair. I had two chocolate things and two weird childhood things. Like I hope I can speak about food here. Licorice and jelly beans and crap like that. But I always had to have four. And when I didn't have those four, just like a drug addict, I started to get nervous and I would bound out and go to wherever I got to get my stuff, to get my stash. I had to have that. So for me to let go of that for five years now, over five years, someone offered me, I went and had things altered today because they're too big. Thank you, God. And uh, she offered me candy and they also had real Coke from Mexico with cane sugar. And I said, thank you. I don't, I don't drink that. And it's just, it's a miracle, you know? Anyway, um, like I said about candy, my dad always had stashes of change and we could go in and take money, but we should have told them. Well, I never told them. I stole it. And that was to get candy. When I was a kid, candy bars were five cents a piece. Well, if you had a quarter, you could have a ball. I had candy on my way to school. I had candy after school. And then I could hardly eat dinner. I'm addicted to candy. Um, but I started with that and she was fine with it. But if she had said to me, you also have to stop eating all sweets, no white flour, all sugar. I think I would have said, I can't handle that. It was too black and white. But as time's gone by again, I have pulled the lasso in and narrowed the road. Um, to me, her, her brilliance for me is she never tells me what to eat. She very rarely suggests anything. She gave me the freedom from shame of reporting food that isn't considered diet food. I lied about food, hid food. My parents found food in my drawers. I was nuts. And now I tell her exactly what I eat. I have no shame around it. The freedom from shame of eating. We, I, I don't know about you guys, eating in the car, ordering as if you're eating for somebody else. And, you know, all the bullshit. It's over. There's no shame. It's, it's amazing to me. Um, and because of that, my food has gotten so much cleaner. She tells me that my food is between God and me. And it's only through the grace of God that I release this much weight at this point in my life um, that I weigh lower than I did when I met Ken 29 and a half years ago. And it's because I have been willing to change, not perfectly. I am not perfect. And to build habits that I have not put it all back on because this past 11 and a half months has been the worst year or almost year of my life. Um, I actually started working the steps with her during my first time in OA. I never really worked the steps. I went to meetings. I did service. I kept, I kept my food clean and I lost weight. But my first sponsor was so rigid. She said, I really didn't work the steps, even though I wrote, had all the literature and stuff. It was like, I never was good enough. 
You know, we talk about that now. We laugh because she was in her own way of doing it. She was a restrictor. That's not my, that doesn't work for me. So I have worked the steps. I'm currently on step eight. It's taken me a long time, but I know I'll, I'll pick up on that now that I have more time because I can't go anywhere. I can't drive. I've got this weird thing in my eye. Now I would like to um, talk about what I do on a daily basis and how much that has changed in my life. Um, as I said, it's been a rough year. Uh, my husband, Ken, and I were married. This is my first marriage. Um, lived in sin a few times and was engaged once and had a condo with him. Didn't work. But we were we met in 94 and we married in February of 96. About seven years into that, he was diagnosed with mild cognitive impairment. He was 15 years older than me. You hear me say was. In 2006, he fell asleep at the wheel of his car because he had been in a manic phase. I had no idea what the hell that was. Uh, I was going to find out. And he hit a park truck. Thank God he didn't hurt anybody else. He didn't hurt himself either, but he wasn't sleeping. I didn't know. I didn't know any of this stuff. He was diagnosed at 66 years old with bipolar disorder. <sighs> he was a medical professional. He was a really smart man. Um, but he, and he was smart enough to mask the diagnosis from psychiatrists and from business people and everything. And they, all the doctors agreed. There were four psychiatrists involved. Uh, he was put into a psych ward twice. Um, ugh, the memories are hard. <laughs> um, they said he probably had it all of his life and his son probably has it and his granddaughter has it for sure. So it, it ran in his family. He stopped working and he couldn't be alone. So I stopped working to take care of him. I, I had worked in the cosmetics industry for years. I never did the movie stuff. My dad's death, I don't know, it messed with me a lot, but I, I worked my way up. I worked for manufacturers. I traveled a lot. And then um, I did something I always wanted to do. And I quit my regular job and I started acting and I got my SAG card, which of course would do me no good today. And I did comedy, stand-up comedy for several years. I did some commercials and stuff. That's really who I am. I'm sort of funny sometimes. But that ended and um, his care took over everything because his physical problems increased along. They actually diagnosed him with dementia at that point. And then finally in 2020, at the very beginning of the pandemic, he was um, diagnosed with renal failure. And for the last two years of his life, he went on dialysis. And for the last three years of life, his life, he lived in, a, in our family room in a, um, a hospital bed. It was intense. It was crazy. I was angry, but I didn't eat. <laughs> I didn't gain weight. I don't know how. I really don't know how. Um, he died in, on the 20th of August from complications from COVID. He was supposed to be coming home in two days and his heart gave up. And for him, I'm grateful that he's released from it, but it's really hard because um, as I write here from a childhood that was so dysfunctional, <laughs> And by the way, my mother is still alive and still driving me crazy. She's going to be 96. <laughs> I love her, but we've, we can communicate better. And I believe it's because of OA, because I've done this for so long. I've been in therapy. I've talked about stuff. I, you know, I have boundaries now and uh, it, it's really been something. So after that, terrible time in childhood, I finally find this guy, this really great guy who, who just thought I was the greatest thing ever. 
every show I ever did in comedy, he was in the front. One time I tried to take over for Regis for Kathy Lee Gifford and wrote the, did wrote this script and did this video and sent it in to them. And from that, they did this whole um, contest. And I called KTLA and they had me on. He came with me. He just was with me and he was behind me better than anybody. It was pretty awesome. I'd never known that level of being cared for. And no matter how much I got big, he's like, oh, honey, you're so you're a little overweight. You know, <laughs> he's, He was the greatest. So um, it's a huge loss for me and I, because I, be, I didn't have kids. So he kind of became my dysfunctional kid, my poor kid. And I did everything from him, literally from head to toe for the last three years. He was 6'1", he weighed 175 pounds. They have devices to lift people called the Hoyer lift. I did that with no cartilage in my shoulders. My knees need to be replaced. And it's one of the things I'll never regret. It was hard and I get mad and resentful, but um, I feel so good that I did that for him and kept him home because he, he wanted to stay home and I was able to do that and it was a blessing. Um, it's a huge loss for me and I'm trying to work through that. His, he was Jewish and uh, I am not. And there's a tradition that's called an unveiling that's coming up and his children aren't speaking to me. His children, his grandchildren aren't speaking to me because they don't like what they got in the trust at this time. When I'm dead, they'll get a lot, but you know, I'm not dead yet. You know, it's only what eight o'clock, I don't know. Anyway, um, that bothered me. Uh, they, his grandfather, Ken's father, gave his, half of his estate like two months before he died to his grandchildren, which I'm so happy about because I know they had a, a good amount. But that, none of that really matters. The thing about me is um, I'm such a people pleaser. I want people to like me so much. To live with this level of absolute shutdown, not speaking to me, it's very hard. Because it makes me feel like I took care of your dad for so long, you know, but that's the way it is. And I have to live with it without eating over it. And it's not easy, but it, it's okay. Uh, in December, my youngest brother, the closest one, like my real little baby, he had a stroke on the night after Christmas. And um, he had no symptoms, but I just kind of looked at him. I said, let's go to the hospital. And he had a stroke. And they found out he had a hole in his heart. And he's having it repaired in a couple of weeks. So that's stressful. I was going to finally have my first knee replaced woohoo! in June um, because I'd put it off for so long. And in May, I was told I had a hole in my retina, tears in my macula, and then 10 days and a follow-up appointment after that, my retina detached. So I now have a gas bubble in my eye and that, not to be gross, but it dissipates. But while it's there, I can't, you know, if I look at you guys, it's it's blurry and weird. So I can't pluck my eyebrows. If you see my eyebrows, they're horrifying. Um, eye makeup and all that and driving. And it's been hard. I've been leaning on friends. I hate asking for help. And I've had to ask for help. And today at 67 years old, I took my first lift to go get clothes taken in. And, and, and that was, I was nervous. How stupid is that? I used to fly all over the place, take cabs for work. I, I'm crazy, you know, but I was nervous, I think, because I feel vulnerable, but I did that. And I feel that made me feel really good about myself. It sounds so stupid now. It's coming out of my mouth. I'm home all the time. And frankly, I do need to work to bring in more money, but I won't be able to for a few more months. 
Um, I tell you, as I call it, my tale of woe, because I am abstaining through all of this. I cannot believe it. If anyone doubts there is some sort of a higher power in life, for me, this is proof that there is. I have so much grace in my life. It's unbelievable. I could, you know, because of COVID, you could order anything you want. I have not been doing that at all. I had a couple of times where I indulged a little bit, but, and I put on some weight, maybe like 10 pounds. Well, like six is gone. You know, I didn't put on 50, 60, 70 pounds. That would have been very easy for me to do. I'm a big eater. Um, 20 minutes. Okay. So five more, I'll do it real, real quick. I just want to tell you other than the food, there's other stuff. Um, I don't feel deprived. I get up every morning. I thank God. I do the first three steps. I listen to a guided meditation on the 12 steps. I do my prayers. I make my bed before I leave my room. I get cleaned up nicely every day. Normally wear makeup. Um, my kitchen is clean every night. My clothes are in order. I just cleaned my closet out and donated a bunch of stuff. This is not me. When I was a preteen and teen, I was a slob. I, this was my, you know what, F you to my mother. This was how I rebelled because she was completely clean and organized and she looked down her nose because she said, how do you get out of that room? Looking what your room looks like, you look so nice. But that I realized as an adult, that's what I was doing. I was showing my anger through being a slob. Well, who's the idiot there? What did they say? The uh, I'm going to take the poison and expect you to die. That's what I did. I hurt myself. And it was, it was just dumb. And I will say that it doesn't, doesn't like that. It doesn't happen overnight. You know, it's consistency every day, every day. I force myself to put things away. I force myself to have the right food in the refrigerator. I track my food every day. I actually did join an app two years ago to count calories. That has helped me tremendously because I never knew how much was in calories. And I didn't give a shit how many calories were in thing. I wanted what I wanted. I started last week. I started intermittent fasting. And, you know, we're not a diet club. I know that. But I also know. If I want physical recovery, I can't eat as much as I would love. I'd like to eat everything I want and stay skinny. Well, that's not the way physics go, if that's the right way to say it. Um, I'll just say this. I've changed a lot. My family, we don't get along. Sometimes we talk through it and we love each. We say we love each other at the end. We never said that before OA. Never, never. It's, it's just, I'm just so grateful. It has been a up and down and that's okay. But that's just my story. and. Um, I don't know what to say. I, I'm just so happy to be alive. My father died at 61 from type two diabetes, two brothers who have had strokes and I'm the fat one. I don't have diabetes. My A1C is fine. My sugar is fine. I'm so lucky. My joints are horrible, but all of our joints are horrible. So I just sit here tonight in gratitude that I'm not going to go out and take my life in my hands and drive. Cause I might've done that before, even though I can't see. You know, I did stuff that hurt myself and I'm surprised, frankly, there were times I did not want to live. And the fact that I am alive and my primary problems are my joint problems and that I didn't kill myself. This is a miracle. And I'm not trying to be dramatic. It just is. It was, I was down and to, to be with all these problems in this last year and not, and not gain it all back. So I just hope whatever I said, maybe somebody said, ah, I get that, you know, and I thank you for letting me share. Thank you.